Welcome everyone to the RJOS podcast. My name is Dr. Alana Munger, and I am your host. This season of the RJOS podcast is entitled The Road Less Traveled and highlights surgeons who have taken a non-traditional path during their career. On this episode, we've got a great interview with Dr. Robin West. Dr. West is the lead team physician for the Washington Nationals and the head team physician for the Washington football team, and she is the first woman to hold these positions in the MLB and the NFL. A disclosure that I would like to add is that this interview was recorded prior to the name change of the Washington football team. I hope you enjoy this episode of the RJOS podcast with Dr. Robin West. Dr. Robin West, thank you so much for joining us on the RJOS podcast. I'm so excited to speak with you and learn just about who you are and your story. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Alana. Of course. So I just wanted to ask you if you can describe your background, where you went to medical school, residency, and your post-fellowship years. Okay, so uh, I'll just tell you, I I grew up in Southern California. I went to Johns Hopkins University undergrad and then George Washington University for medical school internship, surgical internship and orthopedic residency. And then I went to the University of Pittsburgh for my fellowship in sports medicine. Very cool. Very cool. When was the first moment you knew you wanted to pursue orthopedic surgery? You know what? Um, actually, so my parents are engineers. Everyone's an engineer in my family. <laughs> but my uncle is an uh, anesthesiologist. And I remember right. when I was five, I went to his house and I was visiting his house for Christmas. And um, he had this Grey's Anatomy book. So I, I looked at it, I opened it and I was like, this is really cool. And so I asked my mom for Grey's Anatomy for Christmas that year. And she got oh me a word. Grey's Anatomy book, which is so random of a five-year-old. So I have oh. the book from whatever, 1976. I still have the book. No way. Um, oh gosh. But, so, but you know, I, I liked, I just like looking at the pictures. I, right, I didn't know what right. orthopedic surgery was. Second grade, my, uh, my friend's dad was an orthopedic surgeon. And we had to draw some anatomy picture for second grade. So I mm-hmm. probably opened his anatomy book and I drew, I traced out uh, with tracing paper a knee and I right. presented it to my second grade class. So I didn't really know at that point what it was. Mm-hmm. And then um, when I was in college, I was an athletic trainer, a student athletic trainer, taking care of the football team. And I got to work with the players and the coaches right. and medical team. And that's when I decided orthopedics was definitely for me. Oh, that's fantastic. So. That's awesome. Who were your most memorable mentors in medical school and residency? You know, my, uh, my chairman in orthopedic surgery, Dr. Neviser, was my first mentor as far as orthopedics. Um, right. he, he always believed in, you know, he, he was very uh, open-minded as far as being a female in orthopedics. Mm-hmm. When I interviewed, um, there were very few of us. I got asked all the inappropriate questions on my interview, you know, oh, like, no. are, are you married? When are you going to get get pregnant? How are you going to handle oh, it? Word. Are you strong? And, you know, all the standard questions, yeah, right, right? Right. He was not like that at all. And he never oh, questioned anything. I mean, as, as long as you were a good resident, studied on time, you know, diligent, he, he, uh, he was great. So he was a great mentor to me. Awesome. And then, uh, yeah, and then I went on to fellowship and Dr. Freddie Fu was our chairman at the time and, mm-hmm. uh, and Jim Bradley, and they both mentored me, um, in different aspects. Right. Freddie Fu mentored me, um, just to how to be part of a team, how to really work as an integral part of the medical team and how, especially with athletes, how to work with the athletic trainers, 
um, the, the physicians, the coaches, and how this whole process worked. Because right. in residency, you don't really get to do that. You might cover a high school football game, but you don't mm-hmm. really, you're not really an integral role. So he taught me how that was. And Jim Bradley taught me, you know, the importance of knowing the sport, right? Of knowing mm-hmm. what the sport really means. Kids come in and they talk about this sport and that sport. I may not have played. I certainly haven't played football and I right. haven't played baseball, but I take care of professional baseball and football players. <laughs> so I try and really know every nuance of their sport and listen to them and talk to them about it. So I have a better understanding. Nice. And that was yeah. something he taught me. Oh, very cool. And then what inspired you to do sports medicine in comparison to all the other orthopedic specialties? No, I loved everything. When I went through orthopedics, I loved everything. I, I initially was struggling. I loved, you know, uh, trauma surgery and doing total joints and all the big surgeries. And I thought sports medicine was kind of for, for wimps. Like I'm like, right. to scope that little thing and do that. But as I started taking care of the, the athletes and, you know, the very motivated patients, I really liked that. And I, and I liked the way it challenged mm-hmm. me in the sense of trying to get them back to their peak performance. And so that's what drew me to sports medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember being in residency and thinking, yeah, your knee's going to hurt. You're running a hundred miles a week. So like, <laughs> but, but then I started thinking about it and I, I do like to be challenged by that. And, and I have the same mentality myself. I'm, I am, I, I'm an athlete and I do the same thing that they do right, so right. when they come to me and they're like, I can't rest for a week. Yeah. I understand why. So I think I, I related to them very well. Right. And that's what drew me to sports medicine. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Dr. West, uh, this season of the RJOS podcast is about surgeons who have taken the road less traveled. And you are currently the lead team physician for the Washington Nationals and the head team physician for the Washington Redskins. And you are the first woman to hold these positions in the NFL and the MLB. I was hoping you can just describe your story of how you became involved in treating professional athletes. Yeah, when I came out of residency, I was looking for a job. So it was a you know six months before my residency, or sorry, my fellowship was going to end, and I was going on interviews. And Dr. Freddie Fu asked me to stay on as faculty at the mm-hmm. University of Pittsburgh. And I thought about it and was going through my interviews. And then Jim Bradley approached me and asked me to be his assistant team physician with right. the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, very. Cool. And you know, I thought about it again. I, I wasn't looking to go into professional sports. I never had wanted that. I love taking col- care of college athletes and right. high school athletes, and that was what I was really drawn to. So I thought about it. My husband grew up in central Pennsylvania as a huge Steelers fan, right? From the time he was two. <laughs> so right. he, he's like, you have an opportunity to take care of the Steelers, Robin. You, you can't pass this off. And oh. so he kind of encouraged me and said, hey, just try it. Why don't you try it for a couple of years? You, you can always change your, you know, change what you're doing. And mm-hmm. so I decided to, to take it. And it's kind of interesting because I, I believe that, you know, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think that it's this crossroads of hard work, integrity, and that perfect timing, right? And that's where right. it all came together. And so for me, taking that position, having that opportunity at that moment really opened a lot of doors for me and mm. and really established my, my career going forward. Right. With regards to the professional stage, what are kind of the key differences with regard to professional athletics versus collegiate athletics? I know it's probably the professional athletes, it's literally their livelihood, um, whereas collegiate athletes, it's not as much in that sense. But are there any other differences between those two? I think there's a little more politics. I mean, on, on the professional side, because we have more people involved, right? Um, right. Typically, they have they have other families. They have their, their wives or their kids. So we have them involved. We also have the agents involved. So right. agents are trying to make decisions. And so a little more politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the college level, not quite as much. I mean, you still have, obviously, the 
hardworking athletes and the determination and they're right. pushing you to your limit as a physician, but uh, the politics are certainly more on the um, professional side. Very interesting. I have always wondered what it, what is the layout that you guys have for a, a professional football game? Like how many surgeons or how many physicians are out there? Are they all on the sideline or what is like, where's everybody stationed during these games? You know, it really varies probably between like 28 and 32 medical what? professionals on the sideline. Oh so medical professionals, meaning athletic trainers, right. um, we might have a physical therapist or a chiropractor. We have paramedics. We have an independent uh, neurosurgeon, um, our emergency room physician. We mm-hmm. have an airway management person to manage the airway. Wow. Typically have two orthopedic surgeons and two primary care physicians. Mm. And, you know, having the, the two orthopedic surgeons is key. Um, because a lot of times during an injury or a collision, two players will get injured, right? So we have to be on the right. field with two injuries or so, or if somebody's going in the locker room with one of the injured players, having another one on the field. Mm-hmm. So um, having the, the two orthopedic surgeons is key. Again, the primary care side, we have obviously head injuries and other issues that we're dealing with. So right. we need that. But the, the medical staff is uh, is big and everyone has a spot and everyone kind of stands in certain areas so we can find each other. We nice. do wear headsets and so we can talk to each other mm-hmm. if we're going back or if someone needs us where we can get summoned. But right. Very cool. I know that this is a very general, general question, but what is it that you love about your job? You know, the most, the thing I love the most is the, the way I get pushed again. I get pushed mm-hmm. to the top of my game because I right. have to think outside of the box when players are coming to me and asking me, especially in my role as a head team position for both mm-hmm. teams. I, I'm not just an orthopedic surgeon taking care of, you know, doing their ACL reconstruction, right. um, especially on the baseball side. It's a, it's a lot of, you know, repetitive type injuries or other injuries, psychology plays a role in it. So just working with the players on their on their whole body and how do they right. recover from an injury and the psychological aspect, the recovery standpoint, the mm-hmm. rehabilitation standpoint. And again, really getting pushed and keeping me at the top of my game right. is, is right. what I like the most. Oh, and obviously awesome. the, the most fun is when they come back and, and play after you've treated them. Right, right. Oh, amazing. I think, you know, in thinking about this, you know, for a female surgeon to be head of football as well as baseball, which are two sports that women do not play, I would imagine that there were numerous barriers that you had to experience in order to get to the position that you are today. I'm just hoping you can kind of just describe that. Like, did the players ever have, was there just that initial period where they didn't trust you and then you had to, and then they finally trusted you or were they more open with you? You know, I think from the football side, certainly most of the football players or many of them have been raised by a single mom or a grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they actually hold a lot of respect for women, no matter what you right. hear in the media. But they're, right. it's, they, you know, we are the women are their caregivers or providers. And so mm-hmm. I have not found that at all. I, f- I found the opposite, that they're, they're typically very trusting and, and will tell me maybe more than my male counterparts. Right. So I haven't seen that. Um, you know, the barriers are, obviously there, there've been barriers. I've been doing it for what, 18 or 19 years now. So it's been, it's certainly changed over the years. Mm-hmm. I mean, the simple barriers are the physical barriers in the sense of there are no women's locker rooms in the underground tunnels. Oh, wow. So trying to right, find a men, right. men's locker room or a men's bathroom. I mean, I'm, I'm changing in the middle of the locker room with the guys like hiding right. in my corner. And so I, I'm very skilled at that. And trying to find a bathroom to use. That's always right. a little tricky, right? Um, right. So th- those are the physical things. I uh, I had a baby in the middle of a season and I had to, I was nursing her, so I had to pump in the middle of a 
oh, locker wow. room, like <laughs> during the Super Bowl, I had to pump. So, you know, there are things that obviously as a man, you don't have to go through that. Right. So are those barriers? Yeah, those are barriers. I mean, in a sense, but there you can certainly overcome them. Nice. Very cool. How have you dealt with, of course, the very difficult situations as a sports medicine surgeon when a player has a season-ending injury or when a player um, really wants to get back on the field but is not at all ready, especially when I feel like the stakes are just that much higher in professional sports because it's literally their livelihood. How do you deal with those situations? That's certainly hard. I mean, the main thing is, is, is communication. Communication right. with the player, open communication. Um, open communication with the coaches, with the athletic trainers, making sure we're all on the same page. I'm not telling the player one thing and the coach mm -hmm. is telling them something else. Um, and then also with the agent again and making sure, you know, I'm always willing to let the players go to get as many opinions as they want. So I'm right. like, yeah, certainly seek another opinion. Go make sure that we're all on the same page. We have the best care for the athlete. So right. it's, it's hard because again, like you said, it's, it's their livelihood and right especially preseason when they're trying to make the team and they have an injury yeah. and, you know, guys are fighting for spots. So it's, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. Oh, amazing. I also, with the now in 2020, we have such things as fantasy football. And so in my mind, I just imagine that there are all kinds of folks asking you about how players are doing such that they can just win their fantasy football leagues. And so I was wondering how you deal with those situations as well. Yeah, that's funny. I do get those questions a lot. And I always say, okay, you know, if, if the media is asking me about a player, I never answer the question. I just refer them to the, to the Redskins or whatever, to right, the Nationals right. PR department. So you go talk to the PR department. If friends are calling me about a fantasy football, I, I say, just look on the news. You'll, you'll see right. it. it's right there on the front page. And <laughs> so, so I don't, I don't answer anything that's not publicly knowledge, right, public right. knowledge. I imagine just that just happens so commonly where it's just like every and what's funny is just it's just like for two hundred dollars people are asking you about how these players are doing and it's just oh gosh. Yeah, and at the, after the combine too, the NFL combine play people will say, Hey, how how do they perform at the combine? Right. I'm doing their medical exam. I, I don't watch their how they're performing on the field. So oh, wow. it is yeah. it is funny. I never yeah, I never thought about that. One of the things that I, in researching your bio, I had discovered that you are also on the board of directors for the NFL Physicians Society. So I was hoping you can describe to us what is the role of this organization and just can you, for a moment, humble brag about some of the accomplishments of the society? Yeah, so the NFLPS um, is, is a, the player side. So, so what we do, is, sorry, is, the, is, is a, the physician side. So we right. represent the physicians. Then you have the NFLPA, which is a players association. So mm -hmm. they represent the players. So as part of the NFLPS, and I sit on the board, again, we, we hold an annual scientific meeting. We help um, kind of standardize the care across the, the league. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it's been great, actually, and, and being part of these scientific meetings and looking at the um, all the science and injury prevention and recovery across the, across the league and, and how we do that. It's, it's really phenomenal. And we've come such a far away. It's been really fun over the past, uh, you know, so many years to, to watch the, the changes. Right. And I, I feel like, you know, football's getting safer because of the things that we're, we're contributing to it. Mm -hmm. um, so th those are the things. So again, and as part of that NFL PS, I actually sat on, on this lower extremity um, uh, injury prevention uh, society right. too. And so I got to sit on that as a task force. And it was put together by the NFL and the NFLPS, as well as PFATS, the um, right. Athletic Training Society. 
And so we got together with all the scientists. And mm-hmm. so it's been great over the past two years to look at how we can help to reduce the lower extremity injuries from high ankle right. sprains, ACL tears, hamstring injuries. And it's um, the, the data collection is phenomenal and the science behind it is great. And so yeah. knowing that, hey, we can make a change in this again from helping the players, helping mm-hmm. them you know, with, with their, their livelihood, helping right. the league, helping keep the sport alive. So Right. I know this might be a rather controversial question, but I, with the media obsession and rightly so with concussions in NFL players, and as you are on the board of the NFL Physician Society, what was, what, how did you guys handle the incidents with when the concussions were coming up and becoming more and more of a popular topic, so to speak? Yeah, you know, it's it's all based around science. So, um, I'm the orthopedic surgeon, obviously, I'm not the most knowledgeable in concussions, but we certainly have other primary care physicians, other neuropsychologists, and we would engage with a lot of people. Right. A ton of, we have tons of connections with all the big universities. And so again, basing it all on science and doing what we can, how can we help prevent it? How can, what's the recovery, looking at the recovery standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, So the the guidelines are very strict now. I mean, the protocol, the on-field protocol is has, is tremendous. We have the, right. the on-field tent so we can evaluate players in a quieted area or mm-hmm. some, somewhat quieter, a little darker in the tent. So <laughs> right, they're not right. getting, you know, the media spotlight. We can do a, a quick evaluation there, take them into the locker room, evaluate them. We have a protocol to have them see the neuropsychologist, the neurosurgeon. So right. it's very standardized and it gets better each year. Yeah. I keep thinking, okay, it's the best it can get and it gets better and better. Ah, so, fantastic. And again, the science behind it and, you know, looking at all kinds of imaging techniques, blood work. I mean, there are things mm-hmm. that we're using now that to really help us continue with the assessment and make sure that there is a full recovery before they return. Right. We can't prevent them completely. I mean, it's a contact right. sport, but. Right. No, that's awesome. Well done. You are also on the board of directors for the NFL Scouting Medical Committee. And I was hoping if you're allowed to share some of the issues that are discussed during these committee meetings. Yes, yeah, so this is a combine um, uh, meeting. So what we do is at the NFL combine every year, we bring in the 350 player, about, about 330, 350 players who are invited. So these are um, college athletes who are getting invited to perform at the combine. And at the combine, they get a full medical evaluation by all mm-hmm. 32 teams. Right. So on the medical side, what we do is we just help figure out how do we standardize that? How do we get these players in and out in four days? Because there are so many players. So we see between 80 and 100 players each day. They go oh, wow. through all 32 teams. Yes. What kind of standardized testing are we doing? Are we impact testing everybody, looking at their concussion history? Are we getting lumbar films on every offensive lineman looking for a spondylolysis? So there are standardizations that we're trying to set. Um, mm-hmm. And then also the organization of it. And, and that's right. what we do basically on the, on the medical side of the combine. Wow, fantastic. I would like to transition to Innova. Is that how you say it? Innova. Innova. Mm-hmm. Innova Sports Medicine. And you are the chair of Innova Sports Medicine, as well as you were recently promoted, I believe, of late last year to be president of Innova's musculoskeletal service line. And so I were you very interested in becoming a leader in all of these positions, or was it something that found you? You know, I think it was a combination of things. I think I've always enjoyed leading. I mean, I look right. back at just as a as a kid and always volunteering to be on certain things or mm-hmm. getting elected to student council, being co-captain of my swim team, like right, certain right. things always kind of led me there. And then 
I was at the University of Pittsburgh for 12 years. I did my fellowship and then stayed there for 11 years on faculty. And wow, um, I, I wasn't really looking to for this role, um, but someone reached out to me about it and said, what I want to build, come and build a sports medicine program here. And I thought about it. And at the point of my career, I felt like I had a great clinical background and mm-hmm. I was looking to maybe take it to the next level and, and right. trying to build something a little more, you know, build a team. I've always loved right. being part of a team, but can I build my own team? Right. And so it was an opportunity and then I guess stepping stone. Right. And then from here, I've been here for six years and then um, this this new service line role mm-hmm. opened up. Um, and so I, I uh, wound up getting the job. I, I'm not right. sure if it was the right decision, but <laughs> so it's a big job. Over, I, there, there are over 250 um, musculoskeletal providers across our system. So oh I oversee all the all the providers as far as the wow. orthopedic surgeons, primary care, uh, you know, ortho and right. um, podiatrists. So it's. It's a it's a big job, but just just starting it up. It got a little right. uh, side side rail by uh, by COVID, but I know I know. Yeah. Can you take a moment to humble brag about what you have been able to accomplish at Innova? You know, it's uh, so when I came here, it was nothing. They're, they didn't have a sports medicine program. Innova right. is a, a set of five hospitals. It's it's very much they're private practitioners who operate mm-hmm. the hospitals. So it's a hospital system. Um, they had a small group of employed physicians, but they were looking to grow their employed mm-hmm. physicians. So. That's how I initially got hired to build a sports medicine program. Wow. Um, and I felt like this area was really ripe for it. There wasn't mm-hmm. anything like it. So I came in and built my business plan. And um, and so we started with nothing. And now we have, um, there are, within the employee group, there are four sports medicine fellowship trained orthopedic surgeons, three primary care physicians. We have neuropsych- two neuropsychologists for concussion. We've built out the concussion program. We see over 100 patients a week now in concussion. Right. Athletic trainers, physical therapists. Um, mm-hmm. So we've really have grown it. And, um, you know, PhD uh, um, researchers. So we're really growing our research aspect also. Right. We have Georgetown residents rotate with us. Walter Reed residents rotate with us. Mm-hmm. Um, Uniform Health Services residents rotate with us. And we're starting our fellowship next year. So we've oh, really. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's a lot of work to get that all set up. Yeah. So, but you know what? It takes a team, right? So picking the right, right. people to help and and promoting them and helping them to have buy-in into our program. Right, right. Certainly can't do it alone. It's not, it's not me. It's, it's really what we put together. It's, it's a team of people. Ah, fantastic. I do want to give another, ask another controversial question. And that is on on the website, I have to say, it says that you are the chairman of the uh, Innova Sports Medicine. And do you care that it's chairman versus chair? Or is that just something where, you know what, I'm a leader and I'm just doing my job? Yeah, never really thought about it, actually. You know, actually, somebody asked me when I first was named it, and I said, I, I right. don't care. I never, it wasn't, I never thought about it as a man or a woman, chairwoman, right. chairman. So I just accepted the chairman role. You know, my mom was a single mom, and she uh, was in a very male-dominated uh, professional field. So right. she, she kind of raised me to not really think about that and not have to, yeah. to worry about it, not nitpick it, just to kind of keep moving forward. Um, right. not, not to, obviously you know, to take abuse per se, but, but, but that, but, you know, you can, you can move forward and some right. things aren't worth fighting for. And so exactly. to pick me, your I, battles. pick your battles. So true. Battles. What are some of the challenges you face as chair of Innova? And I know that certainly starting a new fellowship, it's just a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of front loaded work just to meet all the guidelines and other sorts of things. But what other, what other challenges do you face? Yeah, you know, the challenge is really of starting from the ground up, right? So trying to bring in orthopedic surgeons, and I, I wanted to bring in P- 
people who had experience. So bringing in mm-hmm. experienced orthopedic surgeons to build the practice from the ground up is first of all hard because I right. have to make sure that they're busy enough and that they they're satisfied before I bring someone else in. So right, you can't just right. bring in 10 people and say, okay, now here you go, because no one's going to be satisfied. Right, so right. it's this, how do you engage the physicians as well as everybody else on our, on our team? Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you get everybody incorporated and keep right. them satisfied? Um, and again, it's a team effort. Dr. Brandon Bryan is the one who is behind the fellowship. He's the one who's put all the work into it. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to take any credit for it, but again, <laughs> by, you know, the, the ideas and, and bringing him on board has, has mm-hmm. been great. And so I think those are, that that's, that's challenging. Right. We all have, we all have big egos in orthopedics and we want to be busy and we want to be yes, surgically yes. busy and um, not just saying non-operative stuff, but so how, how do we do that? And that's, yeah. that, that's a very fine balance. Fantastic. I do want to ask as a sports medicine physician, what is your favorite condition to treat? Favorite condition to treat? Um, God, I love it all. I mean, I, you know, I love, uh, I, I do administrative stuff, obviously, but I, right. I do love being in surgery. I mean, I like right. I like the clinic aspect and, and mm-hmm. you know, diagnosing things and treating things, but it's hard to beat being in the operating room. How about your so. favorite procedure? Don't I don't have one. I, I love them. I really like them all. <laughs> you like everything. I do. I, I like trying new things, too. So, I mean, I do right. like, um, I like bigger cases, typically. I like doing big osteochondral defects and osteotomies, and mm-hmm. um, I, I find them rewarding because someone will come to me and they've kind of been blown off for many years. Uh, there's right. no solution to your problem. And then here they come and, you know, there is perhaps a solution. So that's, that's nice. fun. Very cool. I would like to transition to your passion for running. In researching your bio, I saw that you've completed the Eagle Man, Iron Man, uh, and the Marine Corps Marathon, the San Diego Rock and Roll Marathon, the Escape from Alcatraz Triathlon mm-hmm. twice, as well as numerous other races. And so what inspired you to pursue running? You know, I was a swimmer, actually. I, so I swam in high school and then I swam in college mm-hmm. for um, for a year before I got mononucleosis. But so I'm actually a, a swimmer and I love road cycling more than anything. Um, oh, nice. But running is kind of an easy thing to do if you're traveling or you're, you know, it's something mm-hmm. easy. So that's why the, the races are kind of something I, I do. Um, but I, right. I like triathlons more. I like really doing the multi-sport oh, events nice. more. Um, and uh, and road cycling's always been my, my favorite. But Again, I just like to be active, be outside, anything outside. Yeah, very true. What is your current training regimen? You know, it's obviously busy. It's a, it's a hard time trying to figure out how do you make it work. So um, I, I would try and look at week at the week ahead and figure out what, what do I have? Because some days I have to be here at six, some days I have to be here at seven. And like, can right. I do it in the morning? I'm certainly a morning workout person, but if I mm-hmm. can't do it, how do I, how do I uh, accommodate it? So mm-hmm. I have my bike in my car. I carry my bike in my car, my road bike and my my shoes, I got my whole gear in there and right. I got I have my running shoes. So if I do have a free chance or something comes up right. or work ends early, I can pop out. So. Oh, fantastic. I do want to talk about the future and you've done a lot of things in your career, but I was wondering if you could speak about what your future goals and projects are. Yeah. Well, you know, I just was appointed this new role within ANOVA uh, to right. lead the MSK service line. So my, my goal there is to help grow and develop this program. So that's my kind of short-term goal here. Mm-hmm. Um, long-term, you know, I've always really been, I, I really love the whole recovery side of injury and, mm-hmm. and prevention side. And I like to operate, but if we can help prevent, you, prevent these injuries and right. how do we get somebody to recover fully? So helping science guide us that way. And I think collaborating with other with whether it's scientists or companies and, and trying to help 
promote that and how do we get that right growing further? Um, and also, I, I love to mentor and inspire people who, who may not be interested in orthopedics, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at, I do have a lot of women who contact me and say, well, I was told I can't do it because I'm too small or I can't do it because I'm going to get pregnant. I can't do it because I can't have a family. But I, I want people to know you can <laughs> you can do you this. Do and this is, yeah, no matter where, where you came from, what you are. So I, I think helping people along the way, whatever yeah. their, they, they feel like their barrier is. Perfect. Because I think it's an awesome profession. So yeah. <laughs> Very cool. And my last question for you, Dr. West, is what advice do you have for surgeons and surgeons in training? You know, I, uh, I think the most important thing is there are kind of four things my mom taught me. She, uh, she taught me obviously work ethic. I think we all have the work ethic. We've all gotten here. Integrity, mm-hmm. you know, having, keeping high integrity, um, dependability, being dependable, mm-hmm. right? You, you have to be, be there. And when people call you that communication, be available and humility. I think humility right. is key. Um, so th- those are the things I think is wherever you're going in life, but in medicine, that's, that's, that's really important. Oh, fantastic. Well, Dr. West, I sincerely appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and I've learned so much. I had no idea about these things. And so I, I sincerely wish you the best with everything that you're doing. Thanks, Alana. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the RJOS podcast with Dr. Robin West. Please subscribe to our podcast to show your support. Another way you can provide support and keep this podcast up and running is to donate. Please visit our website at www.rjospodcast.com and visit our donation page. I want to take this time to thank my lead editor and co-producer, Andrea Munger, without whom this podcast would not be possible. I would also like to thank the Ruth Jackson Orthopedic Society for allowing me to partner with them to share these stories. Thank you so much for listening, and please stay safe. <music>